Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Brownstein policy directors Lori Haru, Brian Wild, Drew Littman, and Brian McGuire join strategic advisor Mark Baggage to discuss the outcomes from the historic tax bill passed at the end of last year. Their discussion covers the corporate response to the bill, the possibility of technical corrections getting passed, and how the tax bill could impact the 2018 midterm elections. Welcome to another Brownstein podcast. Today we're talking tax policy. I'm joined with uh, Brian Wild, uh, policy director at Brownstein. He has over two decades of experience in Washington. During that time, he has worked at the White House in both the House and the Senate and in the private sector. A highly regarded Republican advisor, Brian represents a broad range of business and trade associations and manages extensive public affair campaigns and provides policy advisory and strategy on energy, tax, labor, transportation, and healthcare issues. Also joined with Drew Littman, policy director, previously served as Senator Al Franken's chief of staff, where he led a staff of more than 30 and spearheaded all legislative policy and press initiatives. Before that, he served in the office of Senator Barbara Boxer, four of those years as a policy director. Immediately before joining Brownstein this year, Drew served as senior counselor to Health and Human Services Secretary Sylvia Matthews Burrell. Also joined, Brian McGuire, policy director, was most recently... Senator Mitch McConnell's chief of staff, where he advised on strategic communications, politics, and policy. Before that, he served for eight years in a variety of senior communication roles in Senator McConnell's Senate leadership office. Outside of McConnell's office, Brian consulted for the NRSC during Senator Jeff Flake's 2012 election and as a speechwriter for the Secretary of the Department of Housing and Urban Development under Bush. His writing has appeared in publications including the Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, Time, USA Today, and Politico. Lori Haru, Policy Director, previously served as Chief of Staff and Senior Advisor to Congressman Kevin Brady, as well Chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. While working as a political appointee for President George Bush, Lori was the head of all Congressional Intergovernment Affairs for the International Trade Administration and U.S. Department of Commerce. There, she provided strategic counsel to senior officials within the Bush administration and with primary liaison to all House and Senate members and staff on the passage of trade agreements, enforcement of international trade laws, and promoting American exports, intellectual property rights, protection, and market access and compliance. The list is long with our four guests today from the Brownstein firm. We're very happy to have you here. It gives a sense, hopefully to our listeners, the the breadth and the, the amount of experience all of you have uh, collectively. Uh, there's a new tax law. So that has passed. That is signed. Um, what? And I'm sorry with you, Lori, because you know your boss, uh, your former boss, was very instrumental in this and helping bring this about. And what's the real impact? There's two versions of life on this, right? There's the trickle down. It's all going to be great. And then the other side says nothing's coming down. We're looking, and it's dry on the bottom. So why don't you give us your thoughts here and what it, what it all means? That was quite a setup there, right? invoking trickle down immediately. Well, I figured I had to beat Drew to it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, me, right. Well, I guess, you know, the proof is in the pudding. And um, we are certainly seeing, I think, currently the, the counties, over 280 American companies right now are saying that they are going to provide either bonuses or pay increases or more contributions to 401ks as a result of the... Um, extra money that they have uh, um, with the tax reform bill. And um, I think that oftentimes we forget that 
whether it's whether we're living in the bubble or we are fortunate enough to be paid more money than probably we're due. But the fact of the matter is, I think that for most Americans who are getting these bonuses or extra contributions to their 401k or increases in wages, the average of an extra $1,000 to $1,200 a year actually is is pretty significant for them. And um, you know, they're not the crumbs that some people have, have said that they are. And I certainly remember growing up as a kid, my parents worked very hard, but we didn't make much, they didn't make much money. And I know that at the end of the month or at the end of every two weeks, they would have given anything to have an extra $20 or an extra $10 to pay for something that they needed to buy. So, um, I think that you will see more and more people realizing that tax reform does affect them. And in particular, as you hear most Republicans saying, look at your withholding your your paycheck in February, and that's where you'll really see the difference as companies adjust withholding to um, accommodate the changes in, in the tax code. Let me ask you, Brian McGuire, in regards to you have a, uh, you know, the president of the Senate uh, has to be, Mitch McConnell must be very excited that that got off the table. Um, will they be able to, in the political arena, be able to be talking about this enough without other distractions. And I say that because in politics today, it seems like we have news for the minute and then it's gone. And it's always hard to grab it and hold it. Uh, what do you think is going to happen here? I know there's a private group out there wanting to spend millions to kind of promote the value of it. Some would argue they should just give that to their employees instead, but that's another argument. But they're going to promote it, right? They're going to talk about it. They're going to talk about the good things. What, what do you think? How, how can they hold that? Republicans were confident that if we were able to pass tax reform, it's something that we could use um, ahead of the 2018 midterms to um, impress upon the voters the value of having Republicans um, in the majorities in the House and the Senate. What we didn't expect was the really overwhelming corporate response almost immediately to that tax reform in the form of contributions to 401ks. Bonuses, um, the lowering of utility rates, which is cash right in people's pockets, and um, I think in an unreported development, uh, progressive um, achievements like paid family leave that's being given by companies like Starbucks and Disney and others, and um, sick leave, paid sick leave for hourly workers. These are goals that liberals have um, championed for years and were not able to achieve legislatively. But companies voluntarily have done it as a result of the extra income that they have um, through this tax bill. And I think that that's something that Democrats and liberals should be cheering. I think one of the political um, tools that Republicans are going to have here is precisely that reluctance among Democrats, like Claire McCaskill in a state that Trump won by 18 points, to say good things about a bill that's affecting her voters in really significant ways. So I think on two scores, one, the corporate response, which has been overwhelming and gives Republicans more than enough material they need to prosecute the case and the value of this tax bill between now and November, and um, the refusal of Democrats to say anything good about something that's obviously having a, a very salutary impact on their voters because of their distaste for the president. I think those two things in com combination are really potent tools for Republicans heading into November. Drew, what do you think? Well, I think I think uh, corporate executives know that the president is susceptible to flattery, and there's some some luck of urine timing. So, 
the president is taking credit with respect to this tax cut for things that may not have been caused by the tax cut. And companies are giving him credit because if they're going to pay bonuses or give raises, they might as well give the president credit. And that's especially true if you're a, a highly regulated or federally regulated company. So, for example, Apple announced $30 billion in new capital expenditures uh, for the next five years. In fact, Apple made something like um, $16 billion in capital expenditures in 2017 alone and $13 billion in 2015. So in other words, what Apple's promising as a result of the tax cut is to spend as much in capital expenditures over the next five years as it spent just in the last two it's a fairly safe promise to make. Likewise, um, Walmart announced a, a wage increase, which is being attributed to the tax cut. But Walmart usually announces a wage increase around this time of year. Not last year, but January 2016 and February 2015, they announced similar wage increases. Comcast announced $1,000 bonuses. But back in March of 2016, Comcast announced across-the-board raises, a retroactive raise, retroactive, I think, 10 months for all workers. President Obama didn't get credit for that. I'm not suggesting he should have. But a lot of these routine uh, – you're having a tax that passed at the time year-end bonuses are paid anyway, right before the time when um, beginning of the year raises are given. A lot of that activity would have taken place anyway. So I think – um, it'll take more for the tax cut to be salient in a positive way for Republican candidates. People who are paying more, who have lost their state and local uh, income tax uh, deduction, uh, deduction for those payments, they'll be keenly aware that they're paying more. I live in Maryland, and I saw um, we have a Republican governor. I think they estimated that something like 30 percent of Maryland taxpayers will pay more under the new tax law. Now, Maryland is more affluent than some other states, um, but we do have a governor, Republican governor who's up for re-election, and I think this is a problem for him. Well, and also, I'll, I'll add this, and I'll turn to Brian Wild to add into this, but I know you mentioned Walmart. In Alaska, we have Sam's Clubs that all been closed. Right. Uh, in the last two weeks. 60-something Sam's Clubs right. closed. So, you know, it's an interesting debate of who gets the credit and who's ever in office will get the credit for the moment. That's just kind of the politics of today. Now, if it all goes bad, there'll be no one wanting to take credit and it will be someone else's fault that no one knows yet who that will be. I mean, that's just kind of how it works. But, Brian, give me your, your thought, Brian Wild, on kind of what you're hearing on the, you know, you, you spend time on the House side and, and I'm, they had to be excited about this activity and I, I mean, I think one, this is a this is a experiment in economics right now. We're, we're um, this has been the most pro growth tax cut. It, I think there's a lot of Republicans that wish it had been even more pro growth um, and growth driven, and, and not not necessarily uh, rate driven. But we're seeing it now. I mean, I think uh, companies, the stock market, investors have certainly interpreted it as pro growth. I think you know you have this near term repatriation of, of what will be hundreds of billions of dollars that will, will come back into the U.S. economy. And companies can spend that in a variety of different ways and probably will. Some of it will go directly to employees, but a There's lot of it's going to go There's not a restriction in the law, right, that says what they can use that for. I can't recall. Nope. It's just if it comes back, they can use it as they see fit based on their needs, Exactly. Right? They okay. can buy back their own stock. They can, uh, they can use it to, 
capital investments. I think you know what what Exxon did yesterday, the Apple announcement, um, other announcements. I think are, are declarative that they're going to be spent on capital investments versus being spent on stock buybacks and and paying down debt. And I think that's good for the economy. And and really to your point, you know, for good or or for bad. Uh, the president will be judged on what the economy is like in November, and um, and will get credit or blame for it. And and with the trend as it is now, where GDP looks to be going up, unemployment looks to be going down, wages look to be going up, um, Democrats are going to be in a really hard place to try to say that this tax bill was a bad deal for voters. I think in November, when they're employed and making more money than they did the year before, and there's uh, the economy's going up, and, and those that have invested in the stock market and can uh, have seen that their investments have gone up so much, they're going to give credit to the president. And, and Democrats are going to be in the position that Republicans in, were in for the last eight years, which is using 10,000 words to explain why what they're seeing is wrong. Brian, were you about to say something? I was thinking, as Brian uh, was speaking, that another um, argument that Republicans are going to be making politically to um, the voters and uh, to some of the organizations that are going to help sell the tax bill is that bills that are passed through reconciliation can also be repealed through reconciliation. And um, so the fact that Republicans were able to pass this on a simple majority is something that they want to be able to preserve. And, um, you know, if, if they were to lose the Senate, in 2018, all of this could be undone. So that's a really, I think, frightening prospect for a lot of uh, workers who are benefiting from this and also um, a lot of the corporate entities who have responded so well to it. So I think that that's going to be something that's going to motivate a lot of people to work very hard to preserve this majority. Lori, do you think there's going to be additional, I mean, now the, the law is done, there'll probably be some technical cleanups, right? Because there's stuff that people see, repetitive verbiage, things like that. But do you think there's any additional appetite for, you know, kind of ride that success with additional, you know, maybe it's a mini tax bill. I'll just use that as a phrase, but uh, because they feel like there's enough success or do you think it's just kind of one and done? Well, it would be great if they could they could do more than what they did. However, they still run into the same problem on the Senate side, which is you would need 60 votes. And, same situation, because um, reconciliation situation. was used. Right. right. And... Um, and I, I know that they certainly intend to have some kind of technical corrections bill, but once again, you know, would they be able to get that through the Senate? I think it would. We'd end up with the same situation, which is like with Republicans on ACA. Because even with that technical fix, they got to get sixty on the Senate because it's out of the reconciliation window. Correct. And so far, from what I understand, Democrats have been saying they're going to do nothing to try and improve to fix anything that was that went wrong mm-hmm. in um, in the. Uh, tax reform bill. And even though a technical corrections by definition is simply correcting mistakes. Right, right. But they also have another technical corrections bill that's sitting out there from a couple of years ago that was more bipartisan. Mm-hmm. So who knows if that's something that may be able to be resurrected and bring forward. You know, I doubt that they would be able to include was anything new. Was that on new. the tax extender bill? Was that the one? I think it was from the yeah, PATH Act I think it was, and all yeah. of that. So anyway, um, you know, there's there's you know, other vehicles out there. But, you know, let's face it, by April, I would say, you know, political season is in full swing. Everyone's going to look for their tax refund and don't want to deal with anything else. Is that kind of the... Do do you think, and I'm going to play off of what you just said, Brian, let's assume for a moment that the House switches, the Senate maybe is a 50-50, give or take. 
do you think there's an effort then by Democrats to kind of keep bringing up, I, I don't want to say like the ACA was brought up year in and year out, but the things they think are bad in the in the tax bill over and over and over again to drive their message of, um, look what this is doing. It's the top 1% of the 1%. They get 80%, whatever the numbers are of the, the bulk of this. Do you think that might happen? It may. I think Republicans win that argument walking away if they put on the floor a bill to make permanent the middle class tax cuts and every Republican in the, and every Democrat in the Senate votes against that, which I think that they likely would. Then um, th- that, that, again, is another tool that Republicans will have politically going into November. Drew, what do you think? I mean, well, I think I'm just thinking what, what, in the future. What, what strikes for. me about the discussion, I think yes, if the Republicans, for, if the Democrats, for example, take the House, they'll be able to hold hearings and they'll demonstrate that the recovery was going on for the last six years of the Obama administration, and that these numbers aren't aren't radically different from the numbers under Obama. The job creation levels in 2015, 2016 are actually higher than 2017. That's not to suggest Republicans did anything wrong. Job creation is largely independent of what the president does and, and what Congress does. And I think the, the larger point is we tend to focus on uh, what Democrats and Republicans can do tactically in Congress um, to reach voters, but that's not really usually what shifts elections. And and here, um, it's, it's striking that President Trump's job approval rating has remained stubbornly in the 30s, despite the fact that the economy is in relatively good shape. The stock market is at record highs. Unemployment is down close to 4%. Probably can't get much lower. I mean, you probably can't have in some of those macro indicators, you probably can't have much improvement. And yet the president's approval doesn't change. And it's it's not disapproval spurred by a sort of that he's doing a mediocre job or that we're bored with his policies. It, it's it's uh, a low job approval spurred by very high dislike of the president. That well, will personal be, dislike versus policy issues. Well, some degree policy issues, but 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 yes, largely personal. I think that will be the big driver in the 2018 elections far more than than votes that we may or or may not take. I mean, I would be searching for every tactical advantage I could find if I were in the majority in the House or Senate. And but, a tax but, plan could be one of those pieces of the puzzle that helps them move forward. Well, theoret- them the- from- theor- theoretically, but if you look at, at, at Democratic voter turnout in Virginia and New Jersey, where there were uh, you know statewide elections, but also Oklahoma, where there were special elections and places like that, um, a lot of these state policy issues don't even seem to matter that much. Democratic voters are raring to go. Can I just... Sure, I, Brian, wild. I think... A, a couple thoughts there. I, I think that, yeah, the president's numbers are low and it's a tone and tenor problem, not a, not a policy problem necessarily. And, and in those kind of elections, you know, having um, a disgruntled masses is important. And if those disgruntled masses are making more money than they made the year before and have a job where they didn't have a job, then they're going to be less disgruntled. And it becomes a turnout issue. I mean, I think the, the motivated Democrats will continue to be motivated. The, the less motivated Democrats that really they would need to create a wave election, I think Republicans are, are hoping and that this tax bill tamps that down and, and really so prevents bill- them from getting over the top and creating a wave. And this becomes what it should be, which is an election that's based, you know, district by district and really, you know, depending on the candidates uh, that are up and not on the president. Yeah, look, um, the Democrats are going to try to make this election about Trump because they're looking at his approval and disapproval numbers and they view the historical trend as being supportive of, um, you, you know, Democrats. But 
Republicans in places where we need to bolster our vote and turnout are going to make this about the tax bill and about all the other things that people have benefited from. And, you know, the other thing that needs to be considered here is the fact that Trump won 306 electoral votes with a 61% unfavorable rating in 2016. So his likability or unlikability is not in direct relationship to the outcome of elections, as we've already seen. And I think that Democrats are kidding themselves if they think they can ride the sort of anti-Trump message all the way to victory in in October. Lori, last word. Well, and I also think we have to remember that uh, Trump won because American families wanted more jobs, better salaries, and a stronger economy. And as Republicans view this uh, pro-growth tax code, that's what they hope is the end result. And at the end of the day, that's what will get voters out and will vote for Republicans. And I, I guess I would summarize that. I mean, the tax bill is part of the equation to ensure that. And I think, Brian Wild, you said, it, you know, there, there could be a wave, could not be a wave, but you got to figure out what are those things you can put in front of that wave that is in the minds of Republicans is good public policy, but also answers those three points you just mentioned, Lori, and and that's what this bill, in essence, from the Republicans' viewpoint does, right? And it's just the question then is, does this get enough play between now and then to create that insulator that maybe doesn't have the um, negative impact that some might think on the other side? Well, and Trump won in spite of his tone and tenor. I would consider the fact that you had 33 Republican retirements going into 2018. And in California, New York, New Jersey alone, <clears throat> high local uh, tax, high state income tax states, you have 17 Republican-held seats that were won with 60 percent or less. Even after the tax bill has passed, for which Republicans will take credit, you have senior members in California, and just the other day, a senior member in New Jersey announcing their retirements one might infer that they are not confident that they could get reelected, even with the tax bill. Two-thirds of the seats Democrats need are just in those three states to flip that. Uh, more than that, but two-thirds, one with 60 percent or less. You're very close to flipping the House just with those three states. Let me hold it there, because uh, i got to ask that we're at the end of this segment, but I do have um, a new element we're adding uh, to each one of these interviews and podcasts, and one is um, the question of the question of the day. So we have a CR that expires, and it's usually unrelated to anything you just talked about. Uh, so the CR expires in two weeks. Is there going to be a short-term plan or a long-term plan? Lori gets the start. <laughs> I love that the two guys pointed to her. I included you, Brian. <laughs> well, the truth is they are the ones that probably know better about the CR than I do. But, um, but what do you think will happen? Um, I think there will be maybe like a month-long CR. And then they'll come to a much longer agreement after that. I just think that they need a month to kind of get their act together and um, kind of figure out where they're going in the direction of DACA. And um, and then they'll take it from there. It's kind of like they need some thinking time. But they also need to address the defense issues. So. Ryan Wild. So I actually think that that's, I think DACA is now off the table. It's going to move separately from from the spending bill. Um, I mean, this is really um, it's more of a Republican on Republican uh, debate than it is Republicans and Democrats on 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 finding this spending level because we're looking at increasing spending over budget caps. You have your defense hawks against your deficit hawks. They tend to be conservatives in both camps. So I, I actually think it gets done this time. I think they rip the Band-Aid off, um, and, and, and it happens, um, and we get an agreement, and we have, a, we have budget caps that we get to operate under for the next 
two years probably. So a long play is what you think will happen. I think so. Okay, Brian McGuire? Uh, is it a cop-out to say somewhere in between? <laughs> no, there's a cop-out here. This is Washington, D.C. I tend to think that they do need a little bit more time to figure out the spending cap issue. I think it is helpful that um, immigration will be presumably resolved independently of that separate fight that Republicans are kind of uh, struggling with among themselves at the moment. But um, on immigration, at least, I think that there's a reasonable path to success here. And Republicans from the president to the Speaker to the majority leader have all said they want to resolve that issue, and Democrats can't seem to get themselves in a place where they accept that. But um, I think that the spending cap issue probably will take a little bit more time than February 8th. We thank you all again very much for being here. Appreciate thank you. It. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Visit www.bhfs.com for more information.